Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with fiddler and singer-songwriter Galen Lee. And there is, as always, a shorter produced version of this with music wherever you found this podcast. Um, Galen, can you hear me? This is Krista. Oh, hi, Krista. Um, hi. Yes, I can hear okay. you. And I hear you. I hear you. Your side of of talking to somebody who, whose voice I can't hear. Um, oh, weird. Right. Um, okay. Well, I'm letting in. Hi, Galen. Hi. There sorry, I'm a little late. Okay. Bye. Now I hear you too. <laughs> okay, so hi Julie, nice to meet you. Um, oh, I can't hear her though. Uh, Julie, that's okay. Wolf. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, so let me. Okay, so I'm trying to get. I'm sorry, I'm running a tiny bit behind today. I'm trying to get the. I just uploaded a sample to you. Do you want to let me know if that sounds sure. okay? Yes, I'll quick check that. And then my headphones, because the rabbit ate the good ones. Um, <laughs> I'm. Okay, using... that's I've never heard that excuse before. <laughs> that is a real thing. Um, I'm using wireless ones, and I think it's working. But I, just hoping that the battery doesn't die. But okay. we will see. It's a, uh, they're at sixty percent. It should be okay for okay. the interview. But if I get a beep, I might have to switch to crappier headphones. We have even worse ones now. Okay, that's that totally fine. We, like I said, you know, it, we're not live, and yeah, um, you know, we want. I want you to be as comfortable as possible. So let me just quick check this. File. Okay. And then let me, if it's okay, I'd like to take my inhaler first. I'll be, I'll go over Please. there and just be right back. And then I'm trying to think, um, is there anything else besides pressing record that I need to remember? Uh, we'd just be pressing record and then we can all turn our videos off and that'll yep. improve the zoom. Yeah. And, and also this is not, you know, you can also, have your inhaler with you or you know you can oh yeah take yeah. a drink of water like this isn't a you know this is this is a this is a true conversational experience yeah. so i plan on and so yeah so even if you have to like plug in the headphones at some point it's not a problem you okay good stop. Yeah. yeah okay yeah. cool well okay. thank you yeah i was right. like oh no why no no I'll no be, don't worry okay i'll be right back <laughs> yeah we got a rabbit and we Luckily, the week before we got him, I read a book on rabbits, and it said you have to protect basically every cord in your house. So we did, which is great, because he, the one day we were both listening to music and not paying attention to him, he ate both of our headphones in the same night. <laughs> so it was not cool. And we're like, oh, this is real. You really do want to eat all our cords. So I'll be right back then. Okay. I'm mute myself, and I'll come back in just a sec. Sounds good. Chris, I'm already thinking about how we can get that in at the top of the show. Yeah. It's like Rabbit too good. It's too visual. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. All right, I'm just gonna take a listen to this. I'm gonna actually go get a get some water. I'll be yeah, back. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, look, I'm back. Okay, Chris, are we are we ready on all your ends? I think we are there. Did the audio sounded okay? Yeah, it did. Oh, wait, what am I doing? Okay, so, okay, Krista's really loud. I'm just trying to, can you say something again? I think that might be my end. Um, Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm also, like, really leaning into the mic. So if I'm maybe back, 
Not like this? How does that sound? Oh, I know what I'm doing wrong. Um, It's okay. Actually, don't even worry about it. I didn't know I had to adjust the volume on Zoom, not on my computer. Oh, Can okay. Can you say something again? Yeah. Um, how does this sound? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much at the... Oh, yeah. That's way better. Place I'll be. Okay. Yep. I, uh, yeah, that was my fault. Let me adjust... I'm excited for this. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, we're excited too. I'm, I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I'm sad that we're not because we want, we want to fill this with a lot of music. Like we, we really think that your music will be so nourishing for people to hear. I mean, it is anyway, but right now, um, right now, we want to put that, put you out into the world. And uh, I'm just sad because. I do wish that we could have been in person and, and oh, you know, yeah, you, could have, you could have played music and we could, but, but there will be a beauty in doing it this way too. Well, and, and if you do want, I mean, I have a lot of obviously recorded music, but I also have a lot of um, rec like audio of live stuff I've done since quarantine started. If that would be yeah. more intimate feeling. Um. I've been, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got all of that. And so I'm sure, I'm sure Chris or Julie will reach out if we, if there's anything we need. I mean, I think it's all there. Um, you know, a lot of it is on my phone. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of yeah. an amazing thing about the world now. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, so one thing I want to say to you is, um, I guess we get to the end. I mean, because you're a songwriter as well. So, right. I, and as a songwriter, you're a poet. Um, and so I think later on, kind of at, at the, near the end, I want to, I'm going to, I want us to kind of dive into some songs. I have some thoughts, but, but what I want to invite you to do also as we speak here is if there are certain songs you've written that um, are evoked for, you know, by this particular conversation, the things we're talking about, I, I, you know, feel free to talk about a particular song. Oh, when, okay. When we produce it, we might, you know, we then, it, you know, we might we might put it in. But I, I, I don't want I don't want I'm not going to get too self-conscious about that. And I don't want you to either. Chris will be able to turn this into a thing of art. Um, yeah. But just kind of offering that um, okay. as we go. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, just making sure you're recording. Uh, not yet. Let me okay. do that. I'm yeah. closing a couple other windows so that my computer runs maximum. Um, man, what a hectic afternoon it accidentally ended up being. It's one of those things where you're at home and you're like, how is it stressful at my own house? Yeah, well. Um, one second. Let me just. I was hoping to have this all set up before we started, but um, I'm just going to download one thing a lyric sheet and then we'll get started just in case we do end up talking about yeah that. yeah i have some lyrics in front of me as well but yeah and i just thought you might there might be something you want to call out yeah no that's really cool um okay i'm gonna pull it up i'm gonna close this and then let me hit record there's no limit on the recorder app right or do i have to keep an eye on that i don't believe so but it wouldn't be a, a good idea to keep it on the top, so, since we aren't doing video, okay. just in case it stops on you. Okay, cool. I will do that. Um, let me see, backing up. Okay, I'm pressing record. Okay, we're recording. 
Okay, so does that mean that you weren't recording a minute ago when you told us about the rabbit eating your headphones? Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, well, no, no, don't no, be sorry. <laughs> oh, so you've got it? Okay, <laughs> right. That's funny. Yes, that it's actually too good did to happen. Not, it, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, and I should ask, because here we are. Um, here we are speaking in our our pandemic year, in our pandemic winter. Um, I, uh, I'm i in my, my makeshift... Um, recording what my colleagues call my recording cave in my basement den in my house. Where are you? Um, I'm in our, we have a studio apartment, so it's really just one room. Um, So I kind of set up a makeshift recording area in front of our big window um, behind, like it's such a tiny apartment, but behind a big red leather chair that we sit in at night and right next to the bed. <laughs> so it's a, it's all one thing. You can see if you were looking yeah. at it, you can see our kitchen table behind me. Right. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, you, you grew up with a lot of music in, in the world around you. It sounds like, it sounds like very cool to have a family dinner theater. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I mean, like, it's one of those things where you, don't really think about how it's cool at the time and then when you become an adult you're like oh that was really neat um yeah my parents were musical even before that they actually met in a musical um (laughs) and so that's always been a part of our lives and then around when I was 10 my mom's decided like kind of spontaneously that she wanted to open a dinner theater and my dad went along with it and they did that for 20 years so it's a really big part of my yeah. growing up. Yeah. Was there a spiritual or was there a religious background to your childhood? Um, yes, actually. So um, when I was very young, my parents went to a Presbyterian church, but there was some strife in that church that wasn't super healthy. So we ended up going to a evangelical church, which later on my parents are like, yeah, that was probably not the best fit for us. But um but I I grew up in a covenant church and oh okay um and I, I it's like it's kind of funny because I would I don't go there anymore and I don't really identify in that way if I identified with anything it would be Quaker at this point probably mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I went there in college if it wasn't in the morning I would still go there but I don't go anywhere in the <laughs> yeah. morning if I don't yeah. have to um yeah. but it was. An interesting experience because definitely spirituality was huge, hugely important to me. And then it did give me this um, kind of an understanding of like evangelical religion that I think has helped me try to um, bridge the gap as much as I can between Mm -hmm. people who don't understand it and people that that live in that world. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So spirituality is definitely a huge, huge part of my experience, but it's like now it's morphed into, it's really eclectic and I read all sorts of different spiritual yeah. traditions. And so it's, it's definitely changed a lot since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's true. I think, I think that's true for people, even if, for most people, even if they stay in exactly the same, you know, the same congregation they were in as a child. Cause yeah, we, that's we true. change. Yeah. I mean, I, um, so, you know, one thing I was thinking about as I was, I was thinking about this and, and you is, you know, I'm just, I'm curious about, so you, you were born with this um, 
brittle bone disease, osteogenesis imperfecta. Is that yep. right? Yep. Which which means, and just I want to make sure I've got this right, that that your bones it causes your bones to break in utero, um, right? So that while while you're in the room in the womb. Yeah, basically it's a genetic disorder um, mm-hmm. of the collagen. And so yeah. even now my bones are more fragile, but in the way that it manifested for me, it's very, it can look really different depending on the individual. For me, I did break probably 30 or 40 or 50. They don't even actually know because x-rays and ultrasounds were pretty bad back then. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I broke a lot in utero. And then growing up, I would I broke, I think I've broken like 16 bones since I was born. Um, but yeah, the vast majority happened before I was born. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I think, um, I can't imagine that must have been something that you got curious about as you were becoming older and more aware. And I'm, I just, as I'm thinking about this question, because I'm always curious about the the spiritual background of a childhood. I think it shapes people, whether they stay in that place or not, it often is a place that raises a lot of the questions that they that they follow. And I just feel like you had such a very particular and intense experience of being in your body. Um, and it made me wonder if if um, ha- how you might think about how that informed or shaped um, the, the spiritual sensibility um, or how, how you experience this part of life that we call or this part of yourself, that this spiritual part of yourself, even even in your earlier life? Yeah, um, I guess that's a good question and one that I've honestly never been asked before. Um, I, I guess for me early on, like maybe by the time I was, you know, 16 or so, I, I did feel specifically like I was supposed to be born this way, like um, that... I mean, it's just really obvious to me, and I'm, I don't think everybody always feels this way, so I don't want to speak for everybody with a disability, of course, but yeah. um, but for me, it I would not be the same person without it. I mean, there's just no, there's no reality um, that I live right now that would look the same if I didn't have a disability, so um, pretty early, I felt that, um, that that was something that, like, God or whatever, um, you know, had set up for me on purpose. And then, and this is kind of random, but it's part of the story, I guess, is that I started learning about the concept of reincarnation. And mm-hmm. um, I really think it's awesome. I can't prove that it's right or anything, but it makes a lot of sense to me in that context, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the idea that I happen to be born not just with this body, but with parents who were so, um, they were just like the perfect set of parents for developing me into who I am. And I feel, I just feel like it's definitely was meant to be the way that Mm. it unfolded. Um, Mm. and so spiritually, I think it teaches, you know, disability in general, but also my disability where you break bones pretty suddenly and you don't, you know, you know, one day you're going along getting ready for work and then all of a sudden you broke your arm. Um, that has happened a couple of different times where the impermanence of life has always been very front and center. Um, and that, I think that also touches into the spiritual aspect of existing is like that there's no guarantees of any, nor like you can't predict what the future holds. And so 
um, that that informs the way you live, I think. Yeah, which is, I mean, what you just described about not being able to predict the future is, and also not knowing, not being so surprised about what happens one day to the next is kind of, is the fundamental spiritual reality that our whole civilization has been reconfronted with um, in 2020. Well, that's the thing is, like, uh, I also have read a lot of Buddhism and um, that whole idea of not grasping and non-attachment is a huge part of um, my reality. I'm not good at it, by the way, but, like, (laughs) it's something that I I understand is important um, and not worrying too much about the future. But Mm -hmm. I think the thing that people sometimes don't understand is that all the lessons that you learn because of your disability actually do apply to everyone. It just doesn't seem as obvious, right? So um, I think you're right with the pandemic, all of a sudden everybody had to address that issue that I've been addressing my whole life, but they probably should have been anyways, you know, like it's just part of our society. You can kind of lull yourself into the idea that um, you control your destiny, and that's yeah. In some ways, you do like the way you respond to things, but you don't um, control the every day to day thing that happens to you. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, I do love this story of. I mean, as we said, you you grew up with a lot of music around you. Um, c- clearly, you had you had music in your DNA. Um, but the story of how you it sounds like in fourth grade you heard an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And you fell in love with the cello, and then the story of well, partly the teacher, right, who helped who helped you figure out how you could play the violin, which was not obvious and which didn't work immediately um, when you all tried it. Yeah, I mean, I that teacher, who, I mean, that's another part of life where I feel like it was meant to unfold that way. That particular teacher, um, she hadn't like adapted the instrument for other students it just hadn't happened before like where it had come up and so why she decided um to just be so open-minded and like experimental is sort of beyond me and I'm so lucky that she was um willing to do that because a lot of people I've met on the road with disabilities were not met with encouragement when they tried to figure something like that out and never ended up playing the instrument that they wanted to play so um, yeah, so we tried all sorts of different things, and the violin, even the teeny tiniest ones, were too long to be up on my shoulder. And then the cello, no matter what size we tried, I couldn't get the bow down to where it needed to hit the strings. And so right. I don't remember which one of us thought of the idea, um, because it was pretty collaborative, but we struck upon the idea of holding it like a cello, and then the bow I couldn't do the cello bow hold but she obviously knew a lot about every instrument so I do a a bass hold um for my bow I hold it like an upright bass player and so she was just so cool to help me figure that out and we tweaked it a little bit here and there as we went like the the string that I keep it you know I keep under my foot so that it doesn't slide out that that wasn't an, an addition later on and stuff but the the general way I play was something that we came up with together. Mm -hmm. I think it was like after school or something. I don't know. It's almost like a faint memory now, but it was a hugely important thing. Yeah. I mean, it's shaped the whole rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I was also thinking, as I was like hearing the story, you talked about that as that there's adaptive sports and you did adaptive ballet and adaptive gymnastics, but there's not this. I mean, really, what that is is an example. You called it of adaptive music, um, that may not be as common. I was thinking of, um, well, I was thinking of um, a conversation with an anthropologist, Mary Catherine Bateson, who talks about composing a life, which is kind of akin to the musical you know, the improvisational nature of life and improvisation being being a virtue in a musical life as well. Um, and then in some ways you've, like that virtue of music has also been, that, that virtue of music has has worked with the virtues you acquired in, again, like being in your body and leading the life that is yours. Yeah, I that's a good way to put it, composing a life. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, disability, a, a big gift of that is innovation and rethinking how things are done. And I mean, a lot of people with disabilities, I think, have done that in their own lives. And and one thing I'm grateful for, and I don't really know, I mean, maybe it's my parents or things I've read over the years, but I do really feel that you have the responsibility to kind of shape your life as much as you can to to like fit not just you but like I mean the broader sense of where you contribute and stuff and so um, my life has been transformed and retransformed a lot of different times Um, Mm. and I'm sure that won't stop but I think it's a really fun part of being alive is that you can kind of create um, I mean and I know I'm coming from a privileged place in terms of support and stuff but I do think that humans are inherently creative and you can work with all sorts of situations. Like I'm actually, I know this sounds terrible, but I've had a really fun time figuring out how to adapt to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I, although the pandemic itself is terrible and I know that a lot of people are suffering, like from a creative standpoint of like, well, how do I make art now? That part has actually been pretty invigorating to mm-hmm. me. And, um, but that's because I think if you see um, your whole life is like, yeah, how do you create in the moment something that works? Um, yeah, then a lot of different situations can be can lead to something kind of like a positive outcome, or at least not be a wasted time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think it's also been a good time to be a creative person to have that that ability in who you are to make something out of nothing, right? Like to make yeah. beauty out of what could, what would look, what might look to somebody else, just like open, empty time. Yep. Yep. And, um, and I, I've been was, able to I've, make music and send it out into the world. Right. Yeah. And I've talked to other creatives and I mean, all of us agree that like just the idea that you can make art. I mean, and, and I mean, there's been a few months during this pandemic that I've been, pretty depressed so I'm not saying that I get up every day at like 8 yeah. o'clock and make a ton of music or whatever but in general I don't feel like there's ever a lack of stuff you can learn or create and so that's a pretty cool feeling to know that um, yeah I think being a creative is an asset I wish that all people were encouraged to be creative that's a big thing with like my teacher encouraging me um, I wish all teachers encourage people to create because it does give you this like skill set that helps you cope in mm. weird times like this, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you're a Minnesota girl. You're a yes. northern Minnesota girl. Yes. Um, 
And I have to say, like the very first thing I heard of your music was you playing the fiddle. And I, 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 I assumed, and I've spent a lot of time in that part of the world, and I assumed that you were Irish and you were then an Irish transplant to Minnesota. Um, so, but, it, but you, di- you didn't, you, how, it's not something you grew up with, I don't think, from what I can tell. How did you get, how did you discover it? How did you get drawn into it, into fiddle, yeah. playing the fiddle um, um, as opposed to merely the violin? Yeah, well, um, it kind of happened... Gradually, my senior year of high school, I had a crush on a boy who um, played at this like fiddle jam once a week at a little pub called Sir Benedict's in Duluth. And I would go with him and, and I had never improvised before. So that was really scary. But he he said, you just play like open strings. And then if you hear something that you think you can harmonize with, you do it. And so I got gradually more comfortable with that. Um, and then I know, you know, I went to college the next year in St. Paul and I tried orchestra for a semester, but it just, I had a really good orchestra in high school, like, a, and all my best friends were in it and it just didn't have the same magic at all. And it was one credit for a lot of hours a week and I wasn't a music major. So I was like, I don't think I want to do orchestra anymore, but I don't want to quit playing. So I joined um, McAllister College where I was at at the time has a, you know, Scottish yeah, roots. they have a Scottish yeah lineage, yeah. Yep, and so um, they had a group called Flying Fingers where you would just break up into groups of four or five students and you'd meet once a week and then at the end of the semester you'd play a concert of um, usually Irish or Scottish or some other. We did klezmer one, one semester, mm-hmm. but like some kind of traditional music. And you do this low-key concert and it was very, very much just like an extracurricular, but I did start learning even more tunes than I had learned the year before and um, just kind of really love that music. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something really special about melodies that can last for hundreds of years, just yeah. orally. Like yeah. they're obviously good <laughs> melodies because we wouldn't still be playing them if they weren't. Um, and then when I got the looping pedal in 2012 um, from would you, Alan, would you explain what that is? Oh yeah, good point. Um, yeah. So I I, I, <laughs> I learned um, in getting ready to talk to you, but I hadn't I wasn't aware of it before. Yeah, no, good point. Um, okay, so I was in a little um, instrumental project with a person named Alan Sparhawk in Duluth, and he's in the band Low, and he wanted to do this instrumental project where he, I would play violin, and then he would use what was called a looping pedal, which is a recording device. So as I would play, he would capture these snippets of what I played by pressing record and then it would play back again and again and again so he would have me just play harmony to what I was hearing be like built up in this recording it's a live it's a little metal box and it's all done live so it's not pre-recorded um so what starts with one violin ends up being like six or eight layers of violin by the end. And um, one day after band practice, he said, I got you one of these. I think you should learn how to to use the looping pedal and eventually you'll play shows by yourself. And I didn't believe him at all, but (laughs) I tried it a couple weeks later and I felt, I mean, I was like, whoa. Because if you can suddenly create these compositions in real time um Mm -hmm. as a solo violinist all these years before that like it was like having an orchestra in your living room it was so cool um Mm -hmm. and then i discovered this big passion 
of um, finding ways to loop um, these traditional fiddle tunes to like combine the old and the new. And that is when my love of fiddle music kind of got rekindled. Uh. Um, I mean, because it's just so creative to, I mean, it, like it allows you to kind of do, to change these melodies and yet people still recognize them, you know, but to build up all these layers of sound underneath and then play the melody on top. It's just so fun. I don't know. I don't know why. It's pretty nerdy, I suppose, but I think it's really, really, really fun. So um, so that's where the love of fiddle um, music has been sustained. Because as much as I love playing, like, dances, I would play um, concert dances and stuff in the band. For me, once you've played a fiddle tune 700 times, you know, uh, something I needed to find a different way to right. to do that to keep it interesting. And the looping pedal, because it's all live, and it's very related on what exact moment you press the button, and exactly when you let it go, it's all very specific. You have to be um, alert the whole time, so right. it keeps those tunes. Even though I've played them hundreds and hundreds of times, um, it keeps them feeling fresh because every creation can go horribly wrong. Basically, if you're not focused, <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, it's another it's another layer of that improvisational spirit we yeah. were talking about. Um, you know, I I was I I love love love. Um, I actually first discovered the fiddle in Scotland, and and as as, oh. as you know, which but you know it doesn't even make sense from the outside. But even though Scottish and Irish fiddle sound very much alike, they're also very different in their way. Yeah. Um, um, but I've always felt like, as much as any other music, um, the fiddle, well, Celtic music in particular, but the fiddle, the, the fiddle in particular, really, like, it holds pain and joy all at the same time. Like, it, it, it carries this sadness, this old sadness that is yeah. ongoing, but it also carries right with it this possibility of something big enough to meet that sadness. Or, like, that's the way I would say it. Um, yeah, that's it's like beautiful. Yeah. Do yeah. you know what you know what I mean though about that? Uh, uh, yeah, I think the violin. What I've heard and what makes sense to me is that the long sustained notes and then the range of a violin like kind of resonates the same way as a human voice and mm -hmm. um, and those melodies that you're talking about. Um, they are all kind of bittersweet and yeah. I don't, I know there's something that is very moving about fiddle music and it's, I mean, and I think that's, again, it's like maybe there were fiddle tunes that weren't moving when they were first made, but those aren't the ones that we have today because they're hundreds of years old and we have kept the ones that touch us as people, right? And like one of my favorite things to do when I'm playing a fiddle tune is to think back on all the different people who have played it before me. Yeah, yeah. And I'll never even know who they are, right? But they might be right. like a Civil War soldier or a dude in Ireland from like yeah. the 1700s. And like, it's just so cool to think about how that music has just been passed down. Um, but yeah, it is bittersweet. I, I, I just love, especially Celtic music. Although Scandinavian fiddle, I've been introduced a little bit to that and that is it has a darker tone a lot of the time but mm, mm -hmm. um but it's also very beautiful um uh, the traditional music is just pretty cool yeah i love that i mean i love that what you just said about how the all the generations that it's passed through and like it somehow takes on the heft of that 
um, it's also um, it also kind of makes sense to me when you talk about the looping because it it is profoundly communal music in terms of how it lives and breathes and operates yes. right in its world. And so e- even if it's you and you're looping, it's like you're you're creating a crowd, right? You're kind of creating in the in the absence of the pub where people are drinking their Guinness. Um, you're creating that collective experience. Yeah. And, and you know, the best memory I have, I guess, of playing those kinds of songs as I did <clears throat> um, it, the first time we went over to London, I did a, a gig at a little pub called the Windmill Brixton, and um, the owners were Irish. And when I did the parting glass... Um, because I I do a medley with another faster fiddle tune and then I end and and, and it was just so cool because he was getting really pumped he was like so it's just fun to like touch the psyche of, like I don't know how to explain but man the Irish music yeah. is like in in their culture like like whenever I play over in especially Ireland but in this case in England because he's from mm-hmm. Ireland like they know all the songs. They're yeah. like, oh, that one, you know, it's just a huge part of their cultural, um, like, knowledge. And I, I wish that we had something like that here yeah. in America. I mean, I suppose we do in certain parts of the country. But in northern Minnesota, the music isn't like every single part. I mean, I don't know. Something about it is like, it's just so neat that everyone in Ireland that I've met, like, knows all those songs. And you're yeah. like, what? This is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we could keep talking about this for an hour. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> no, no. I'm the one who go- I keep going because I'm. But um, um, it just coming back to this spiritual. Like, it also, you know, another. I I I, I feel that. Um, I I kind of think this was a, a bit, and you touch on this a bit when we first started speaking. Well, you know, in general, this kind of separation we imagine, and especially in Western culture, like the category of the body and the spirit, that falls away um, it, kind of at at extreme seams of life. It falls away in joy. It falls away in suffering. It falls away in death and in birth and in illness. And it falls away in music. It's like music. There's like in Celtic music to me in particular, it's like it's music that makes the body feel like a soul. That's the way I've thought yeah. about it. And I certainly feel that when I hear you playing it and it's tribal in a way, but you 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 extend it. Um it you you own it also. Cool. Well thanks. Yeah, I mean I do believe that and I don't understand why exactly, but I do believe that music is one of those junction points, you know, between the body and the spirit. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but there was a, um, about six or eight years ago, my grandfather, it was six years ago, my grandfather was 94 and he was in hospice and he was passing away. Um, but he was there for six days. So we had the whole family, like would take turns to be with him. So he wasn't alone. And, every day after work at the time I was working at a boys and girls club and I would come over after work and play hymns for him on the violin because mm-hmm. he he mm-hmm. was very spiritual like Christian man and he always had hymns on that was his thing and so one day I was there it was about three days into hospice and I was playing Amazing Grace and he started making 
some noises, some like moaning, and we were worried that he was in pain. So somebody went and got a nurse, and she leaned over and listened, and she's like, oh my gosh, she's singing along with you. And as mm. I kept playing, his singing got louder and louder and clearer and clearer. And at the end, he really truly was like, it was, it was, he was singing with me. And the weird part is that's like the last time he ever made any noise. But I think music is something mm -hmm. a lot deeper than we um, think about in our daily lives. Like it definitely lives in like the deepest part of your human body. But I think that's because it's not just in your body. You know, it's like yeah. it is this connection point. And it was really powerful to see. You hear all the time that, oh, music is, you know, a really big part of us or it's one of those things that sticks with you but to actually witness something like that was really amazing i mean it was bigger sweets of course but it was just like holy cow like yeah he's, he's in there and he's singing along and it was and it was it's the singing and the music that drew him to the surface yeah, again it, yeah. it was really intense and i it, that that changed my perception of what when people say music is powerful it sometimes just sounds like a cliche right. but you're yeah. like oh no, it really is. It's really intense. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we're we're going to be we're 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 in we're in December as we speak, um, yes. and we're going to be airing this around Christmas, and um, it's a strange Christmas. You know, like every every milestone in this year is you know. Graduations didn't happen, and state yeah. fairs didn't happen, and Broadway is shut down, and you know Thanksgiving and Christmas are. Up in the air, and um, um, I'm I'm curious. Um, you know, like one day we will we will rebroadcast this conversation, and we will put cut this part out because we will, we will be in a different chapter of our life as a species. Yeah. But um, but I am I am curious about um, what's Christmas for you. Um, I'm curious about what's Christmas for you this year in 2020. How are you going to spend that? Yeah. Um, well, you know. The we I have tiny lungs, so I really don't want to get coronavirus. So I've been really locked down since March. Um, like, don't go to stores. I mean, I've had to. We had to put our dog down in June, and I had to go to the doctor twice. But beyond that, I haven't mm -hmm. been inside really anywhere since March. Um, mm -hmm. And I also don't want to spread it to people with disabilities because people in group homes. Um, are like more likely to die of coronavirus than yeah. almost anyone in the country, basically. So it's something that I, don't, I just don't, I mean, I don't want to spread it to anyone, but I think that that's, I don't want to impact other people negatively. So we've been locked down, but I will say that about two weeks ago, because my parents are just as locked down as us, and they're the only people in our lives that are as locked down as us, um, we mm -hmm. decided to form a little four-person pod my husband and I and my parents and so um it was really weird but special Thanksgiving and I'm assuming it'll be the same at Christmas because we went there and just the four of us cooked but we zoomed with each of my siblings throughout the day mm. um mm. and at the end of the day on, on Thanksgiving we all of us were on the line together for a few minutes none of the little nephews lasted that long but um and it was like a special little holiday. It's going to be weird um, again for Christmas, but we'll be there Christmas Eve and, you know, we're going to cook a dinner together and um, Zoom on Christmas Day with the rest of my family. And 
I don't know. I think having, I think it is, if anybody can find another person that's as locked down as they are, um, I think it's important if you can to find at least one person to see if you can yeah. do it responsibly. And so it took us a while to get to that point where we were, we communicated a lot about what was okay to do and what we, what we weren't comfortable doing, like in terms of, you know, yeah. I really yeah. want it to be safe, but it is because we had all these conversations. It took, it was an exercise in like really communicating what we meant. But now that we have this little pod, I'm, um, I mean, I think the holidays are going to be pretty fun, actually. Like, we're, I'm doing a two days before Christmas. I convinced my parents to do a Zoom from their house, like a holiday carol sing along. So, my mom's <laughs> going to play piano, yeah. and I'm going to play violin and sing. And we're going to like open it up to anyone, uh, like, who wants to come and do a Christmas carol sing along. So, everybody else will be muted. They'll hear me. But we'll all be able to see each other, and I think it's going to be really fun. I don't know. Like, yeah. it's part of that whole creative thing is it's definitely a different Christmas. Um, but I personally think, for us anyways, it'll it'll be nice. And, I, and I'll know that at least I, I just don't want to, like, have people leave the holiday and then get sick five days later. So yeah. we're doing yeah. it in a way where we feel like that won't happen. Um, yeah. and, and I feel good about that, too. So... I don't know. I love Christmas. I had a Christmas album of live looped Christmas yes. carols. Yes, I am you obsessed. Do. Yeah. I love Christmas music and I really love the holidays. For some reason, I am um, like Thanksgiving to Christmas is like my favorite month of the year. So um, I've really been trying to just focus on the like the stillness of this year, like Advent is right now. And yeah, and yeah. I'm not like a super again I, I draw from a lot of different faiths but i've been reading some advent devotionals and like this idea of stillness and waiting is very poignant this year i would say yeah maybe maybe we need to kind of extend the spirit of the season season of advent um into these next few months because we've yeah. got it's like the world is going to shift again but it's not going to happen yet um uh-uh. you know you're so <laughs> It's it's so it's actually really energizing to speak to you and for you to talk about, you know how how you, how you've actually had a flourishing of creativity and, um, you know you are in good spirits obviously and you're even excited about Christmas. But as you said, I mean you did mention this before you, you you've had rough days also. You've written about that on your blog in mm-hmm. in 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 2020. Um, you wrote at one point about this feeling of dread. Um, and how you had to kind of you had to kind of welcome dread, um, yeah. And I, you wrote something um, that I just want to read back because it's very beautiful and helpful. Um, and so again, this was, you know, this was out of you in ex- being in lockdown, and then also reflecting um, on other hard passages in your life that that also you know formed you and i think that's also true of a time like this that a time of loss that our other the other losses of our life and the other traumas of our life come back to us a bit so anyway you wrote this the saying goes love your neighbor as yourself but i would challenge you to reverse that saying for a moment love yourself as your neighbor if you saw another person hurting You'd want them to get the care they need, right? Well, you are that person today. 
You are absolutely worthy of care. Please reach out when life feels too difficult to bear. Hang on another day so you can eventually find yourself in a better place and come to know your reason to keep living. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's something that, um, that I, so I deal with anxiety and depression at different times. Um, you know, sometimes they are less prevalent and sometimes they're more. And when I wrote that particular blog, it was, you know, a pretty challenging part of this pandemic for me, you know? Um, and I think, especially in a time where there's so many people hurting in the world, it's easy to just, um, I don't know, kind of just get overwhelmed and maybe paralyzed or, or like frozen instead mm -hmm. of thinking like, well, what, what care do I need right now? You know, like what is something I could do to help myself? But I think a lot of people and myself included sometimes don't, you always see like other people suffering and not really acknowledge like, that you also can do something about your own without being like a selfish or bad person. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or, and that you are worthy of getting the care that you need. Um, so, you know, the beginning of the pandemic and then again, a couple months ago, we're both really hard because um, yeah, at the beginning of it, I was just kind of overwhelmed and depressed but it hadn't really come to northern minnesota yet you know like yeah nobody yeah. we knew was sick yeah it's but come all this slowly stuff, to minnesota yeah and all this stuff changed um like our lives changed i mean i had to leave mm -hmm. we drove home from a tour we were on our way to do obviously and and i don't know something about just the not knowing the future um and reading the predictions of what could happen um we're just it was a lot to take on. So at that point, I got counseling online, which really helped. Um, I mean, it really helps. I wish mm -hmm. I wish that we had national health care so that everybody could just go. But there are some places like BetterHelp and stuff where you can get it for less. Um, but it's important. It was so important to do that if you need it. Um, and just tried to give myself some slack Somebody said something that really helped me around that time that I wrote the blog. They said 150 years ago, basically the goal of life was just not to die. <laughs> like, yeah. like the goal of life was just to exist uh, till another day. And we've added a lot of other kinds of commitments and like a lot expectations. Of expectation on top yeah. of that. Yeah. And she's like, I don't. I think right now I'm just going to focus on staying alive. And I was like, wow, that actually really helped me to like kind of yeah. let go of some of the feeling of um not only is there a pandemic but i'm failing at everything too you know what i mean like that yeah that wasn't yeah. helpful and then a couple months ago it is it has been really difficult and i'm not going to downplay like as a person with a disability not just for myself but for the community how frustrating it's been that people haven't been following the rules in the way that they should mm -hmm. and you know wearing the masks and really not having parties and you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's been a lesson spiritually for sure in like just having to accept what is and focus on what I am doing. Um, and I, I mean, speaking out when I can, of course, but, but the idea of like, if I, I mean, I think there's a Bible verse about that somewhere, but like basically if you're, 
like oh i think it's like the the wrath of man does not achieve the glory of god or something like that but basically mm-hmm. like being a totally angry um person isn't going to help the world you know what i mean and so mm-hmm. having to try to let go of some of that um frustration and pain and um disappointment i guess is a big word for that mm-hmm. um that's been like the other challenge of this pandemic for me is just like you know i think i mean i i think people think of disability as negative or something that they wouldn't want but i i actually really think and i think we'll get there that it's like a it's a really valid way to exist and like and not only can it create like different art like my music is informed by my disability but it can create different ways of seeing the world and i just personally it's been like other people have gone through far more terrible periods of history than this i mean we have yeah. the internet yeah. um i mean i know it's hard to imagine like, all that's been possible i mean yeah. the concerts that you've that you've brought it broadcast out yeah and so it's hard to be i think what it, what, what i mean is like i think because disability is always reimagining or living outside the box this particular time it's been like well of course i'll stay home And I know that like financially some people can't stay home but going to birthday parties and stuff like the things that are extra and unnecessary yeah. those are the things that really um make me frustrated. But okay. I mean again, I can't I can't uh control what other people do. So I've been really trying especially at the holidays to just realize that um <laughs> you know when Jesus was dying he's like forgive them they know not what they do. It's mm-hmm. kind of that idea of like people aren't trying i don't think to um really wreak havoc on the world and so i just have to trust that they we're we're all in this situation where we'll know more when we're all <laughs> not alive anymore and well you know what I, it's not like really my job to fix everything at this point mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. it is um i worked really hard in july to get a mask mandate in duluth um and i'm glad that that ended up happening. Did that happen? Yeah. Yep, it did. And and I mean it wasn't like I was the only person working on it, but I definitely had a voice in that discussion. So I feel like the things that you can do, you should do. I was like, you know, I'm home, I have time. I'm going to work on this issue because I think it's important and it felt good to like see a change happen. Mm-hmm. Um and and so I'm glad that I could focus on something that I had the power to change, but a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about that still lingers is stuff that I just I don't have control over. You have control over yourself and how you respond to what's happening around you and that's about it. So I'm yeah. trying to focus on the positive stuff that I can do in the community rather than getting too bogged down with like watching people make decisions that I don't agree with, you know. Mhm. or that feel personally dangerous to you. Well, I mean, yeah, there is a yeah. fine point on that, right? Um mm-hmm. but I it's like really um it's really inner work that you're doing. <clears throat> yeah. to to know the validity of that feeling you have and the reality of the danger and also um make that decision not to assume that they mean it that way, right? That I mean, I there's that's it's um that's real internal labor but it's also part of your internal freedom that you're that you're owning right yeah i mean yeah mm-hmm. that's the thing is it's like 
I think this time is more than just metaphorical, like an, a, a period, a point like where we can choose to really learn from this time. And I, I really want to do that. Like I'd want to emerge from this situation, not like a bitter or disillusioned person, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that at least right now, um, that I will come out of it that way. And, um, but that's because, yeah, it takes a lot of inner reflection and like, um, just really trying to give like not, you know, like the whole idea of not judging other people, less people judge you. Right. So yeah. that's sort of where, I mean, you know, like, you know, when like, I don't know, Jesus said, love your enemies. He wasn't kidding about that part, you know? So <laughs> that's, that's not very easy, but it's definitely yeah. actually what we're supposed to be doing in the Christian context. And there's probably similar verses in every other faith too. the idea yeah. that you, yeah. you love people that, that hurt you. Um, even though they hurt you, that's that's what this is talking about. Not like, not like in times of plenty. It's like right now is the time where that's important. Yeah, you know, um, I feel like another thing. Some of the ways you you reflect on disability and also um, work um, for dis for for disability rights, and I don't know. I'd say like disability kinship. Um, also with like everybody else with the you know, like the, the kinship the hum, human kinship um and something that i that i feel is like that you've pointed out that this is not something so unusual if you look at it in the large sweep of things that nearly one in 5 people in america has a disability 19% yeah. but but also at a deeper level I mean, what you're talking about are like we all are imperfect, suffering, wounded, you know, different in some ways. It just doesn't always show on the outside of our bodies, right? Like that 19% is things that maybe show on the outside of your bodies or show up in certain ways. Um, And this just kind of following on what you just said, like this is a moment where we all are really getting in touch with yeah, how frightened frightened we are, how inadequate we feel, um, right? Our the the softness of our humanity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> yes, I I think that all again, I see disability as just a form of diversity, like a spectrum, where and and it comes and it changes throughout your life, right? Like I'm. I'll probably be less able-bodied or whatever um, yeah. when I'm 84 than I am now, right? And so, yeah. and so will on, I. And so will everyone, right? And yeah. so if you make it that long, you're not going to be the same person that you were when you were 30 in terms of your physical form. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that if you see disability as entirely natural and not, I think what it is to me is that we call certain things disabilities or diseases or whatever but we all I mean I just don't see it as like a compartmentalized thing I think we're all just humans and we've labeled certain things um and and that disability is entirely a natural part of like every single person's life they just don't identify with it and when you do touch the idea that you're immortal and that you need support or that like 
it's okay to ask for help or that yeah. it's okay to rethink things or you don't have to follow the crowd and do it the same way. There's a lot of things that being disabled has made visible to me, but literally applies to everyone. Like I did a TED talk on sexuality once and I said, like, you know, some of these revelations I have seem like they're because of disability, but they apply to everyone. And I've always felt that way, but disability is not actually separate from any person and anyone can become disabled at any time. And I think yeah. we just, yeah, we just don't want to acknowledge maybe our, our, yeah, that softness or the vulnerability or whatever that comes with disability. Um, but there's also like strength and creativity there too. So I, I wish that we could take away the stigma or the separateness and yeah. just kind of start embracing it as a diversity that is like a welcoming, a welcoming club yeah. or something, yeah. you know? So someplace you spoke about, you know, how, yeah, I mean, what you say is like, we're all disabled in the same way that we're all dying. Like it's just more obvious <laughs> in some lives yes. um, and in certain moments. Sorry, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, that's oh. the reality is we're all um, headed there. Oh, yeah, we are. And you said, I mean, I thought this was this was very like striking to me, just, you know, getting this into context. You're talking about your husband, Paul, and how it's true that he has to care for you um, in in uh, in in complex ways. Um but really in ways that many spouses care for their spouse at different stages of life. Yeah. Um, who, you know, he cares for you in a way that you might expect in, in many marriages for him not have to, to, to care for you when you're older or when you've been married longer. But that reality belongs to all of us, just as you're, as you're saying. Yeah. 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 We just sped up by like four decades or something. But um, yeah. And then the thing is, is that that's the thing is, I think we care for each other and his is more physical. Well, his is both, but like he does a lot of physical stuff. But to assume that just because you need physical care, that you're not also providing other yeah. care um, yeah. is important to remember. So I, I feel like <clears throat> one thing I would love to see in my lifetime is a linking of um, older people to understand disability in a way that's so it's easier to age. You know, all of my mm -hmm. grandparents have struggled with getting older and being really frustrated with their bodies changing and feeling like a burden and all of these things that you have to deal with as a disabled person and like make peace with to just like have a happy life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I wish that we talked about this stuff sooner so that when you are older and you suddenly need someone to drive you to the grocery store that you don't like hate your life. There's no reason to, mm. um, you know, like if you see it as a context of just a different part of the human cycle that's just as valuable. I think the biggest thing to remember is that all people are equally valuable and that is true no matter what your stage of life you're in or what your disability is. Right. And so that you don't have to feel bad about needing um, extra help as you age and stuff or feel, or, you know, and that, that creative thing about like, well, how can I do it now rather than, well, I can't do this anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just so many lessons that disability and old age could work like synchronistically if we could be talking about it more. Yeah. In terms of the shared human condition. 
like yeah. kind of the the spectrum of the human condition. Yeah. I I did watch that TED talk that you gave, and I, I actually oh, wanted yeah. to talk to you about it. I mean, you actually studied political science in college, right? That was uh-huh. your major. Um, yes. And I think this was a TED talk where you talked about reading Marcuse, the philosopher on Eros. Yep. And um, I did want to, you know, you had this epiphany um, that has really been important to how you think about kind of what we were talking about a minute ago, your internal freedom. Um, And often when you talk about yourself as a, like, I think this is on your website, when you talk about yourself as a disability rights advocate, you'll join language like disability rights, um, inner freedom, um, and accessibility in the arts. So, so would you tell that story? You said, I mean, you said this lightning bolt struck your brain when you read this philosopher. <laughs> yes. Um, well, so the, the philosopher Marcuse was writing about how capitalism had usurped sexuality in the way that they had discovered if, and by they, I guess I mean like the people who sell things, had discovered that if you make people feel inadequate about themselves, like 10 pounds overweight or not wearing cool enough clothes, that they will invest money to reach this ideal that has been set by capitalism, right? And um, so you can sell diet pills and different hair products and all sorts of things, magazines, and, and you just make the bar unattainable enough so that people will keep striving after it, right? And never really be satisfied with who they are, so they'll spend tons of money. And that's a very oversimplification of what he wrote about. But that's what I was reading. And I was like, wow, I do not relate to this at all, which was weird. I was like, I mean, I see other people do that. Like, I obviously see people um, spending money on stuff that they, because they feel... Like not pretty you can enough make them or more whatever. Complete or more yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I was like, I just don't feel that way. And I wondered why that was. And it dawned on me that because I look so different, you know, my limbs are bent. I'm in an electric wheelchair. I'm just really small. I don't see myself at all in those magazines. And it would be like laughable to think about trying to look like. A model in Cosmopolitan or something like right. um, because I just looked so different that it obviously didn't apply to me. So I had grown up, you know, starting in, in I would say like towards the end of high school, I just kind of did what I wanted to do with fashion. I wore a lot of really weird clothes that I don't wear anymore. So like <laughs> I, I kind of just did whatever I wanted and um, and just felt like kind of outside of the box and for a while growing up you know that obviously does make you feel left out you know friends uh luckily all my friends were nerds so none of us really dated but people around us were (laughs) dating as a teenager yeah yes but people you know start dating or you kind of start thinking like oh maybe i'll never be able to get married because nobody will ever find me attractive you have those worries but when i realized that i had i had this like freedom to just kind of develop into the person I wanted to become without feeling weighed down by these standards uh, that were unattainable anyways. That's the reality of disability actually overlapping into everywhere. It's designed to make you lose, right? Like the capitalism, sexuality world, nobody can stay in the realm of desirable for longer than like maybe three years in their 20s. And then all of a sudden you don't, that doesn't, you know, you have to keep working to yeah. fit this ideal. And so I realized like I had this freedom right out of the gates. And when I realized I had that freedom, 
I think you just become more confident or like just less, I don't know, less weighed down. And so actually shortly after that is when I did start dating people and stuff. And that was sort of a coincidence, but I had to have that realization first that where I was might look like left out and sad, but where I actually was with this pace of intense, like freedom to just be who I wanted to be. And that was really liberating. Um, Mm. and it applies to everyone. So like if we, if we acknowledge that, you know, that's why it's, it's, I struggle a little bit when disabled people want to get involved in like (laughs) the fashion industry. And I know that that's a passion for some, so they should I mean, go for, go for your passion, but I don't really necessarily want to be marketed to. Um, I just, I don't know. It's just not, I don't want to feel like, Oh, now I have to Hmm. look a certain way or be a certain way. Um, because capitalism tells me to, I really value the freedom of not being marketed to, I guess, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I understand that everybody's totally different. And so I know there are people that are very excited about that change and that's good, but I think it's important to acknowledge that capitalism is not set up for us to feel content. That's all right. You know, we're, we're never gonna feel like we have the stuff we need or the looks that we need. Um, it's yeah, always it's something. Changing. Something can still make us better. Yep, something. exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So interesting. Um, uh, it's so good to think about, right? Uh, so, um, I think I'm just curious as we've been speaking. Um, I mean, I are there songs? Um, I, I kind of again want to get a little bit into you as a as a writer, as a wordsmith, yeah. um, um, we don't, you know, we, we don't have to talk about your songs. Like we will be able to play them. Right. So people will be able to hear them. So, but, um, yeah. Are there any, are there lyrics? Are there, are there ideas and words that are particular songs that come to mind in terms of themes of what we've been talking about? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I mean, a lot of my songs are, definitely about the internal struggles uh that I have you know pondered over the years yeah so I'm trying to think if there's any that like really fit the the time we're in um let me look really quick I'm just kind of scanning scanning the scene um so, like, <laughs> Bound by a Thread is yeah, one that Yeah, that's the first one on my list. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about any that you have questions about, yeah. too. That's no, no, totally that's fine. just, I'm, it's, uh, yeah. So, we, yeah. Yeah, no, so, talk about that one. That does, it's also so, so beautiful, just oh, musically. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, Bound by a Thread started about the concept of reincarnation, Um and I've read a lot about a lot of books about it, and I just think it's so fascinating. But the idea that you're connected to certain people throughout time and you're helping each other grow um, in different relationships throughout different ages. Um, and I feel there are a few people in my life that like definitely, I just feel like we were supposed to meet and we changed each other and it was really um, like, a huge pivotal part in not only my life, but I think, you know, the way that you help each other, um, you know, transcend or become something different. I think that that's really important. And, and for me, the verse, um, I do believe we'll see the fruits of our labor, maybe not now, 
maybe lifetimes ahead if only love would be our guide. I think yeah. for me right now, especially that idea of you don't necessarily have to see the outcome of everything that you do. Um, because I think if love is your motivation, it has unintended consequences and it ripples out. And, and I mean, I, I was so lucky during this pandemic, I got to hear Barack Obama speak at a Crip Camp um, hmm. Zoom. So like Crip Camp is a film that came out and they did a series of lectures over the summer. And somebody asked him, like, how do you stay hopeful right now, you know, especially. And it was live. It was just so, I was like, I can't believe I'm seeing Obama live. This is the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. Um, he said that he... When he was younger, he took everything so seriously. And then as he got older, he realized he's just one person in this long chain of social justice. And you're passing, you take the torch from someone else and eventually you pass it on to the next generation. And hmm. that you absolutely won't solve all the problems, but you absolutely should be part of the chain. And I think that that's sort of what this song is about, is hmm. just... Um, doing the things that you do now and then whether or not you see them because of reincarnation or if it's just that in the future of the world um the actions of today bring about the change of tomorrow um i think that that is a really important concept to me i guess mm. yeah and you know it's one of these it's one of these basic realities that like even if taking it outside the even outside the frame of reincarnation, I mean, we know that acts of love and also acts of wounding, we know that they ripple through time, right? Like they yeah. ripple through our families. They ripple through our communities. Um, yep. They ripple through lives. Um, and, you know, just to what would it mean if we actually really let that sink in, what that means? And then, and then, and what are the implications for this, this is how you're teaching me. This is where my mind is going. Then what are the implications for then how we live knowing that? Well, that. And that's why, like, if only love would be our guide is a really mm -hmm. big part of that to me. Because I think we're not going to get everything right. And we're definitely going to make a lot of mistakes and still wound other people and stuff in our yeah. human existence. But I think if love is the measure that you try to hold yourself to for for the ways that you live, um, that then you're more likely to hit upon those ripples that are positively yeah. affecting the future rather mm -hmm. than the opposite. Um, what about this the song Moment of Bliss? It's also so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, that song, <laughs> uh, was, that's a little older one. Um, I wrote that when I was playing a lot with Alan Sparhawk. Um, and that one is about marriage, actually. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's, 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 I think marriage is a really powerful place um, to, like, oh, I just read in a devotional recently um, by some monk, I don't remember who it was, actually, um, that marriage is a community of two. So, like, if you're married, it's not like you're a monk in a in a sangha or whatever, like, far away in an ashram, but you are a community of two, and you can learn to, 
like enact the principles mm-hmm. of like um of what you what your spiritual principles in this like one relationship and mm-hmm. i think that marriage especially for me has been a really intense growing field i mean again not always good at it like it may it makes you face like the worst of yourself and the best of yourself in some cases and it's just like there are never a lack of opportunities to like put your spirituality into practice in a marriage i mean it's (laughs) oh my gosh you know we're in a studio apartment we've been here since march like if you think we haven't argued since march you are wrong so like it's just such a it's a hugely like there it is there's your chance to figure out some of this spiritual stuff that you think about like here's how you do it and so that's what i mean by it seems easy but it's so hard to do it was like you read you read these spiritual practices and they resonate with you and these verses and you feel something but then to do it when your partner's like bugging the crap out of you is so different you know it's like (laughs) to put it into practice is huge and so but then um you know, we won't choose to go, so we just face the next task, humble at last. I think it's important to just yeah, humble be at like, last. That's yeah, the, exactly. That's the like, line that recurs. Yep. Yes. It's like, well, here we are. Uh, sorry, I messed that one up. Let's try mm-hmm. again, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's. I mean, I, I think marriage is a, for me. It's been really cool to think about, like, even though it, it can be a struggle sometimes, um, how cool it will be. Hopefully, if we make it that long in 40 years, you'll know that person better than you knew anyone else ever. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's so cool. Like, but it's mm-hmm. very much a practice ground for this more lofty stuff you read about. It's like the battlefield in, right. a, not, in, a, in a not bad way, but yeah. definitely intense. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, is there, is there maybe one other song that comes to you? Um, that feels and even there doesn't have to be but if there's anything that feels yeah, resonant with um, what we're talking about maybe i'll talk real quick about just the two most recent ones and then you can mm-hmm. choose what you want to keep yeah um is that okay yeah sure okay so um in 2019 i wrote a song called the long way around um and that song is about the relationships that start out really fun and light and joyful and then you come to this sort of an impasse where um yeah you're like struggling with each other um and the idea that if you make it through that place um how you can really um it can really be a blessing to have that relationship in your life Mm -hmm. um there's a couple of different times where friendships have kind of come to this like okay, are we going to work on this or are we not going to work on this, you know? And mm-hmm. if we don't work on it, then the understanding is that, like, you're probably not going to have each other in your lives. But the times that I have chosen to work through it have been um, just, like, very rewarding. That idea that um, try not to burn the careful ties that bind us together, I just think relationships in general, and it's been amplified during COVID, are kind of... It's not like, oh, we're going to, we we can get through anything automatically, right? Like yeah. you have to take, yeah. you have to be willing to do the, either the work or the carefulness of not wounding each other. You know, like that's like yeah. a real, 
a real part of being a human. And so taking the long way around to me means that it, you don't have to necessarily resolve everything overnight, but, Mm -hmm. but that you can, if you, if you work on those relationships, it can end up being a really fulfilling place to be, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you calling that out to that, that kind of love. And I, you know, I even think that can be, you know, people we work with, you know, neighbors. Um, oh yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, as you say, you know, at a time like this where we're all, everybody's stressed in their own yeah. particular way. Um, and, um, and then added to that, we're only able to communicate with this, you know, that like the technology is amazing and miraculous. And I've done some things by Zoom that were so beautiful and meaningful and deep, but it also, I mean, it has these real limitations I'm finding, especially when something's a little difficult where you mm-hmm. just want to be able to sit in the room with somebody yeah, um, and yeah. have more time than, you know, whatever was allotted for um, the Zoom call or the or the telephone call. Um, um, but also just how it's just true when any of us is not at our best or is feeling stressed out or vulnerable or just tired, um, then we're more likely to be hard on the people. Right when we're being hard on ourselves, we're likely to be harder on people around us. Yeah. And that's why I guess I just think a lot of this stuff in life is the long game. Um, yeah. Like you have to play the long game. And that's why getting help, for example, when you're depressed and just my dad always said when I broke my arms, he would always say, this too shall pass. And yeah. it's true. Like everything does eventually pass. But you so giving yourself permission to be like, well, I screwed that up. But I'm playing the long game, you know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I there's a chance to figure this out still. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of what this next song is about. I wrote this one. Ironically, I wrote two months before coronavirus hit and it mm-hmm. felt so poignant later that I was like, what? I love that songwriting, I think, comes from a place in your brain that you can't really access or maybe the spiritual realm it's hard to say but um yeah i don't think you i mean you write the songs but i feel like sometimes you don't really realize what they're um saying until later um i remember roseanne cash yeah. saying to me you catch the songs right like, yeah yeah i mean it's yeah. i feel like they kind of just float down from mm-hmm. a place that is very mysterious to me um mm-hmm. and so for this one, This Hunger Won't Leave, is one that I wrote um, a few months before quarantine. But then, as I said, you know, I was really discouraged and depressed um, at the beginning of it. And um, and has, you know, it's kind of ebbed and flowed since then. But this idea that your bad habits and the things you don't like about yourself feel like they just, you just can't get over them. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. can't you travel on up your mountain? can't get it out of your system and and it can lead you kind of to this point of despair um and it's like do you do you run away or turn to face your demons it's kind of like this choice that you have to make um and i guess for me um in the verse but beneath um the surface doesn't seem to make much sense a clouded mess but beneath it all i know there is some order Sifting through my fears, my hate, my love, my emptiness, I will someday hit upon that boundless border. 
and the idea that something in you drives you to keep going forward and working. Um, won't you grab a hold of this hammer and build a new day with me? I just think that there is something about the human spirit, which I have seen during coronavirus, that is that has uplifted me despite all mm-hmm. the frustration is how people really have, um, maybe not in all the ways that I would, but they have really adapted. And I got to give the human race credit for like (laughs) what we are going through. People have really done some cool things and not, not even just like doing cool things, but people have endured a lot. And yet, um, I just, I'm, I'm proud to, to see what, how people have coped, um, even the ones that are struggling, admitting that they're struggling and then trying to figure out a way like, well, should I get a dog? Should I go to counseling? Like, what do I need to do? Like, I think there there is a deep resilience in the human race that that song kind of touches on, I think. Um, and I've seen it during coronavirus. And it's it's a, it's a neat thing to witness, despite all the tragedy around us. Um, yeah. There is resilience, too, and I think that that's really cool. Yeah, I'm just looking at the lyrics. Um, even um, you read that last, the last lines, won't you grab a hold of this hammer and build a new day with me? But before that, also, this really touches me. What, won't you put your lips to this water and quench your thirst to be free? Um, I, If I ask you, um, I feel like this, what you just have been talking about flows into this. If I ask you, like, you know, through this life you've lived, through who you are, um, and and you know, in this moment, but 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 also through through the fullness of yourself, like how how has your sense, you know, and and this is a, an impossibly large question, so just like <laughs> how would you start to answer this? How would okay. you start to think it through? Like what 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 have you what what have you learned? How does your sense of about what it means to be human? How does your sense of that um, keep unfolding? Well, I think that, at least for me, I can't speak for other people, of course, but for me, it feels like you're a a spiritual being, whatever that means to you, right? Um, As a human, you have this spirit, and that I know, I, I mean, I really do feel that there is this perfect love somewhere, um, and you have glimpses of it like it's real deep down there but the practice of being human for me is just learning how to do that in a place that's not perfect right it's easy to think about I mean man I do little devotionals every morning and it's so easy you like you read them and and you just think like oh yes this is this is truth right Mm -hmm. and then you get out in the world and somebody like bugs you and you're like oh (laughs) whoops, <laughs> like now I'm annoyed. And it's just this human, being a human is learning how to carry that that love and that like, that nurturing and uh, whatever it means to treat other people with love too, um, to do that in real life, in actual practice. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the point of being a human for me is. And on a broader sense, I think that that means sharing your, self with the world however that looks it can look so different for different people for me i've gotten a lot of messages about music right like like sharing music 
with other people is what I feel like I should be doing with my time, but it doesn't have to be something like performative. It's just how do you bring yourself into the world in a way that, that expands love rather than contracting it and, and just doing it in real life. I think that's what you get out of being a human. Real unromantic life. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Would you say a little bit before we finish about your philosophy of enrichment over progress? Yes. Um, so this, you know, I told you that story about my grandfather, right? Um, yeah. This was a concept that really started to percolate after I experienced his passing. Um, this idea that I, you know, I read a lot of self-help books and, and um, I love the idea of, you know, progressing as a person, right? Like, yeah. like learning and continuing to improve in the long run and the, the long game, as I said, um, that inspires me a lot. But I felt like in a lot of the books I was reading that most people are only writing to those able-bodied, like super driven, like in charge of your own destiny, probably pretty privileged people, right? Who mm-hmm. who can go out and set a goal and attain it. And and I was like, man, there's a lot of and 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 then they judge themselves as successful if they meet those goals, right? Yeah. If they start that business, if they lose the weight. You know, that's how we're everything is performative. And I remember getting kind of annoyed, even though I read these books all the time, um, kind of annoyed that like, well, where do people with disabilities fit in this equation, right? Like I can often set goals and do what I want to do, but when I break my bones, um, suddenly I'm basically just laying on the couch for two weeks, right? And am am I less valuable during those two weeks when I'm not crossing things off my to-do list like I don't buy that right so I started thinking like what if there was a way we could measure success of a person or like like measure what a good life was that didn't involve always accomplishing stuff right and that's where the idea of enrichment came from watching my grandfather pass away I realized that his wife up until the very end was more enriching because people were there not just playing for him, but a lot of my family would go um, pray with him or sit with him or talk to him or, you know, he was not alone through that experience and and people brought their gifts of presence to him Mm -hmm. so that he had a more um, enriching death basically. Right. And so I realized that to me, the idea of enrichment can apply to every single person. So either you talk about living an enriching life, um, in your own world, like as a active doer. So you find the things that enrich you and it may or may not be your job, right? It's the things that that bring you life. It may not Um, be your title. Yep, it might not be. And and maybe you mm-hmm. eventually want it to be, right? But but mm-hmm. it, even if it's not in that moment, it's still important every day to touch things that do enrich you because mm-hmm. that's the value in this theory of like a life well lived is something there where you touch the things that enrich you regularly. And it doesn't have to look the same. Like for me, music is one of those things that I need to touch regularly to have an enriching life, but it doesn't mean that I have to perform until I'm 99. It just means that I have to have music in my life 
in some capacity, which could be like just listening to music. You know, it doesn't have yeah. to be grand. Um, and then I think, and then there's these other group of people, like my grandfather in hospice or people who um, become severely injured or disabled or babies or people with dementia, like so many different kinds of people that maybe actively can't choose, like I'm going to do this thing and then they can set out to do it. And that's where the idea of passive enrichment comes. And I think mm. for me, what that means is that you um, receive enrichment, the th- you, you are able to con- connect with those things that you love because other people make that possible. So mm. it might look like somebody with Alzheimer's having a visitor that plays records that they used to love, you know, things that that they can connect with or somebody who loved nature, making sure that people who love nature can connect with it in some way, even in the hospital. You know what I mean? Like some, some kind of thing. And so we can do that for other people and other people can do that for us. And that's where this compassion part comes into enrichment. It's compassion for yourself. So you're living an enriching life for yourself, but it's also compassion for other people where you are bringing enrichment to those who maybe can't um, actively pursue it on their own. And mm-hmm. if you bring those two things together, I just think that you, every single person can experience a more enriching life, no matter where they are on the spectrum of disability or age or income, you know, like we can bring, we can make it possible for every single person to have enriching experiences, I guess. Oh, well, Galen, I'm, I'm, um, I'm just so glad you're in the world. And I've, it's really been, um, well, it's been enriching for me to, um, (laughs) kind of sink into your music and, and, um, I've loved this conversation and I can't wait to put it out in the world and I do hope that because we don't live very far apart you know maybe we know when the world opens up again maybe we can have you in our studio in Minneapolis um but I just I'm just glad you're out there and thank you so much for this oh thank you so much for thinking of having me on the show even during the pandemic that's that's very cool so thank you